Okay, today I want to talk to you about hope. We're going to get into that. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and we're going to get there in a little bit. You remember, we picked a word of the year. Early on in the year, we picked the word church. I said, let's study church. Let's get into church. We spent a lot of time talking about it. We have what we call the wife of the church, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. We've gone through all kinds of different things. We have more to come. And we picked the idea of faith, hope, and love. Well, Marty, why did you pick that? I thought we were studying church. <laughs> That's exactly why we picked it. If you read the New Testament, and I pointed this out before, especially in the letters the Apostle Paul wrote, you'll notice at the beginning of each letter, whether it was Thessalonians, Thessalonians, or not so much in Corinthians, but in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, he starts out with his introduction, which we think is just a formal introduction. Oh, no, no, no. He's got a strategy in mind. He's trying to evaluate the church and measure the church, and he uses three measuring tools, faith, hope, and love. He didn't really care if it's a big church or a small church. He really didn't care if it's an urban church or a suburban church. He didn't care about all the other factors, whether they have great worship or not so great worship, or they do this or they do that. That wasn't important. He wanted to know Do the people in that church have solid faith based on the truth? Do they have growing hope where they hold on to the Lord? Do they demonstrate love for God and for one another? Faith, hope, and love. And it's funny how he used that. I have never really taken you through that recently. I did years ago, but I talked about it earlier and showed you a couple examples in the New Testament. It's a pattern, a biblical pattern. You'd pay attention when you see a biblical pattern. So I thought, well, what would be better if we're going to study church to really go back and ask ourselves, well... Are we a church of faith? Do the people here have solid faith? That's what God's looking at. Do we really have hope, solid hope? We're anchored in. And do we really have love for God and for one another? So that's what we're doing. We're kind of reevaluating ourselves because the church is just people. And if we don't if we don't have faith and we don't have hope and we don't have love, we're not that good at church. How good a church are we? Well, how strong is our faith? How strong is our hope? How strong is our love for one another? Now, we already went through faith. And I said faith is like a stepladder. Remember that? I want you to remember that imagery. You have the stabilizing side of the stepladder and the step side of the stepladder, right? The stabilizing side, we said, is God's word. And you take your will, which is the steps, and you lean it up against God's word, which is what a stepladder is, and you have faith, where the word of God meets up to Your will is where faith is. If your will does not lean upon God's word, his promises, you really don't have biblical faith. Biblical faith is when you take steps into God's word, trusting his word for your eternal life, for the changes in your life, for the transformation power of the Holy Spirit in you. When your faith leans up against God's word, that's what we said. Well, this week... We're going to talk about, um, we started it actually last week at Easter. We're carrying on with it through the rest of the, actually the rest of the month. It's hope. And I like to use the imagery of, of hope being like an anchor. And I'm going to show you that in a little bit. Because an anchor is about the future. You anchor yourself into something in the future, yet, not, yet, yet unseen. And you're trusting God for that. I'll explain that more to you later. If there's ever a hopeless time in the 40 years I've been the pastor here, it's probably now. It's rather hopeless with the coronavirus. Threats of war, threats of violence, uh, infighting in the country, infighting in churches, questions about racism, all kinds of stuff going on, right? It feels pretty hopeless for our future, doesn't it? 
Well, if we ever needed to think about our hope as a church and our hope as a person, it's now. So what I'd like to do before we even get started is pray with you about, would you bow your heads with me and let me pray? Dear God, there might even be people here clinically depressed. They're so hopeless. There's many people here very confused because of hopelessness. There's many of us that have real big questions about where we're going as a church, where we're going as a country, and even where we're going as a person. So, Lord, we need this reminder really bad. We really need to get our hope solid here. In fact, that's going to determine whether we're a good church or not. It's just a bunch of individuals hoping in the Lord. What does that look like, Lord? What does that mean to us? Help us understand that now. Solidify our hope. I pray that for every person listening online as well as in person. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start out with this. We'll ask the question, what does hope look like? Is hope like a, a mentality, a way of thinking? Is hope a feeling? Like, I wish this would happen. I hope that happens. What is hope? What's it like? You know, I think you and I need to first understand that hope is absolutely essential to life. We are, as I mentioned in the sermon last week, we're hardwired for hope. We think that way. We, we, we as human beings have to have hope. I mean, why do we send school, as kids to school? <laughs> we used to send them to school. Now they stay home for school. But I mean, we're trying to do both. Why is school so important? And we keep sending. Well, school is we're hoping and hoping year after year, hoping they'll learn, hoping they'll get educated, hoping they'll understand, hoping they'll be able to have a more productive life, right? All school schools based on hope. Or marriage. Why do you get married? You hope to have a family. You hope to become like one. You hope to have romance. You hope to have a relationship that's close, this companionship. Marriage is all done in hope. A farmer. Why does a farmer, I don't know how much you've known for my father later in life got into farming. A farmer takes literally hundreds, sometimes even thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars and puts it in the dirt. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they do. All that corn, all that fertilizer, all the pesticides, anything you put down, you pay for it and you're literally doing it in hope that it'll germinate, in hope that it'll grow, in hope that it'll last through all the seasons and all the storms and you can reap a harvest and make a living. Why do you get a job? Why do you work? You're working in hopes that you can make a living, in hope that you can keep going, planning for the future, right? Hope is so involved in everything we do, we often don't even recognize it. You go into the gym and you work out. Why are you working out? Because you hope it'll keep you healthy. You're, you're going on a diet. Why you hope to lose weight? You come to church. Why'd you come to church today? Well, I'm hoping to get closer to God, or I'm hoping to understand some more, Right? Why are all these people down the Mexican border crossing into America? They hope to have a better life. I'm telling you, hope is intrinsic. It's, it's innate in the human condition. It's who we are. It's how we think. It's, so, so, so talk about hope today. I don't know if you don't understand, but it's really, really important. I remember, uh, I'll never forget Dr. Frank Minrath, a clinical psychiatrist who was a professor of mine down when I went to Dallas Seminary. And he worked in the pastoral ministries department, helping you help people as a pastor. He was training us. And one day he talked about depression. He said, oh, you wouldn't, 
depression is just, and especially now, it's more epidemic than it ever has been in America. I don't know if you know that, but it is. So he helped countless people with depression, even wrote books about it. So Dr. Frank Minrith did something in class he didn't do generally. He opened up his heart and life and talked about when he was in college, how he went through this period of great depression in his life. And he said, you know what? I'm a psychiatrist, and I just have to tell you something. Hope, hope has everything to do with depression. Because all being depressed is, is that you've lost your hope. You just feel sad all the time. Pieces don't fit. You've lost this expectation. You don't have hope anymore. And he says, I went through those dark times. Oh, is it all about medication? Oh, medication can sometimes help. Is it all about therapy? Oh, therapy can sometimes help. But he says, we forget. The Bible tells us, Romans 5, 5, you can look it up yourself. There is a hope that will not disappoint. And why does someone get so hopeless? Because they've been disappointed and disappointed and disappointed. And it piles up after a while. You go, what's the use, right? He says, that's what suicide is. Hopelessness. It's just plain hopelessness. It's not complicated. He says, but we often forget the spiritual component. There is a hope that will not disappoint. I put it down in what's called the big idea of this sermon. It's this. To find hope, you must anchor yourself to the Lord. You see, the real hope of life is not in this world. The real hope that can sustain your life is not here. No wonder you get disappointed all the time. It's not here, right? And you go, oh, I can't, it's not working. Of course it doesn't work. Because there's only one hope. It's through God's Son, Jesus Christ, who raised from the dead to prove he's the eternal hope. And all he asks us to do is anchor in him. I want to explain that to you. I want to help us understand that. So let's start with point one like this. I put down point one in the outline. It's this. Hope comes from an act of willful attachment to the Lord. Did you hear me there? Hope comes from your will. It's a willful attachment. It's you making a decision. I'm going to have hope because I'm attaching myself to Jesus Christ. I'll try and explain that. The word for hope in the New Testament. Let's get a biblical idea of what hope is. The Greek word used in the New Testament for hope is elpis or elpizo. And it means expectation of good in my future. So you're expecting to see something good. You get that? Hope is about an expectation. It's not just a mentality. It's not just a feeling. It's you are actually is an act of your will saying, I'm expecting things to be good. And I'm saying, because Jesus is my Lord. That's what hope is in the Bible. That's the way it's presented to us. So it's not just like wishful thinking. Well, I hope, I hope it gets better. No, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not, well, you know, things are going well. Uh, things, are, things are working out. Uh, I feel pretty good, so I'm hopeful. No, that's not biblical hope. Paul said, I've learned to be hopeful or content in every circumstance, whether things are going good or things are going bad. I've found contentment every time in any situation. So it's not about the situation you're in. It's not about whether whether things seem to be going your way or not. It's not about the circumstances of life. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is based on Jesus Christ's living hope. If you were here last week at Easter, that's what I preached about. And I quoted to you, we read from 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says, or excuse me, Peter says, we've been born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered the most hopeless thing in life, which is death. We can have hope in him. That's what he's trying to present. So all of us are connected to hope, like it or not. But when you connect your hope into some wishful thinking or just how circumstances are going, you're going to be disappointed, guaranteed. But when you connect your hope to Jesus, he said, you have a living hope because he's not dead. Your hope has a name. It's Jesus. That's why I like to use an anchor. But before we even get there, I want to read you a passage that shares with you why I use an anchor. Because it says in the Bible, hope is like an anchor. You ready? Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 17 through 19, reads like this. I'll put it on the screen. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character, notice that word, character of his purpose, notice that word, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, what unchangeable things? God's character, who he is, his goodness, his holiness, his truthfulness, his love. God's character, two unchangeable things, God's character and his purpose, his plan. God has a plan. He's going to fulfill it in which it is impossible for God to lie. Why is it impossible for God to lie? Because of his character, because of his purpose. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. What hope? Hope in God's character, hope based on God's purpose. Set before us, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. What anchor? Our anchor in God's character and in God's purpose of the, okay, we have this as, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What's he talking about, inner place behind the curtain? He's talking to Hebrew people. That's why it's called Hebrews. And they knew that in the temple or in the tabernacle, there's a curtain, there's a veil that separates the holy of holies from the holy place. You come into the temple, you're in the holy place, but only the priest can go into the holy of holies and offer sacrifice for us. So he goes on to say, that's where your anchor is anchored. It's anchored behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I won't explain the Melchizedek thing, but what he's saying is Jesus is our priest by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin behind the curtain. So that tells us his character is holy or perfect. Tells us his character is good and caring. Tells us his character is loving and truthful. And his purpose is unchangeable. It's unthwarted. So he says, we have the anchor of our soul in Jesus Christ. So let me use an anchor. Let me use a literal anchor. This is a spare anchor for my boat. I have a boat someone gave me, and I use that for fishing and stuff down at the shore. And I got this anchor. So let's let the cross represent Jesus, and we hook our anchor around the Lord. Okay. You got an anchor, and of course your anchor is tied by a rope, and you tie that to your boat. Right? Now let me ask a question, a very strategic question here. When? Anybody who's been on the water knows this. When's the most important time to have an anchor? And to make sure your anchor is set. That's right, a storm. You ever heard the term ride out the storm? 
How do you ride out the storm? You have the bow of the boat where the anchor is, and you throw the anchor out. And when your anchor hooks in, it turns the boat. Instead of floating sideways where the wind's coming and the big waves are coming and the waves are beating against the side, very bad place to be because when those waves rock that boat, it could capsize you, tip you over, and you're done. But when you put the anchor out, it spins the boat around, so now the boat's headed into the waves. The big waves come, and they hit the bow, and that splits the waves. It's the only way you're going to survive in a storm. Do you think we might be at a stormy time in America? Do you think that's why the the, the winds of time are blowing across us and we're all feeling so hopeless? Yes. Now more than ever, we need an anchor in America. Now more than ever, you need an anchor in your life. And who knows what's going to come about, but when you've set your anchor, you're ready. You're prepared because your anchor's in the Lord. How many promises I can quote you from Scripture to talk about the Lord being our only sure hope. Yeah, stormy times. That's when you definitely need to make sure you're anchored in the Lord. I, I, I put this down. Your hope is only as good as what your hope is anchored in. The reason some of you have gone adrift, I had a lady come up to me afterwards and said, yeah, I've been wavering for years. I needed this sermon so bad because I've become hopeless and discouraged. She's crying. And I helped her set her anchor in the Lord again. Your hope in Christ is only as good as what? His sovereignty his complete control, his character, his purpose. And that's solid. That's what this passage just said we read. Have you ever thought about this question? I've thought about this before. How about about a a martyr? How How does a martyr make it? You know, somebody who's killed for Christ, persecuted so severely that, I mean, the Bible tells us of different people being martyred, stoned to death, things like that. History tells us of people being Scun alive, terrible things, hung on a cross, all those kind of stuff happens. How do you make it? Have you ever wondered if you would? If you'd make it or not? And I'm going to hang you up, I'm going to skin you alive, I'm going to boil you, I'm going to throw you in this thing, or, and unless you deny Christ. Would you stand? Would you? Well, it depends on where you're anchored. If you're anchored in this life, in what you have, in your family, in your stuff, in how good you feel, in your circumstances, your situations, you'll probably let go. But if you anchor yourself in the Lord and you go, you know what? I expect good even if you kill me. Even if you take my life, I know I'm anchored in the Lord and I have all eternity with the Lord. That's the only way they make it. That's how a martyr can withstand martyrdom. That's how they can face even death because they're hanging on to their hope in the Lord. Their hope is steadfast in the Lord. This is, this is so crucial for us to comprehend and begin to understand. I, I think of a passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, For God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Wow, right there. Sounds just like this. You anchor in God's character and his goodness. You anchor into his truthfulness and his love. And you're believing God's word. That's who your anchor holds. Where, where, where are you at? Are you holding? Or have you gone adrift? That's like the title of this series through the rest of the month. You've gone adrift. 
you can be anchored in the Lord and hold solid and strong. Some of the people this apostle wrote to in the book of Hebrews did suffer persecution. Some of them even martyred him. And so Paul, or the author of this, whoever it is, is God told them, you better get anchored right now. The second thing I wanted to tell you about is this. Hope increases as you are willing to stay attached to the Lord. Okay, the first point was hope comes from an act of your will. Okay, you decide. You're here this morning. You're all excited. The message speaks to you. God speaks to you. You go, okay, I'm re-anchoring in the Lord. Okay, well, how do you stay attached? There's a passage of Scripture that helps us here. It's just a few pages after the one we just read. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23 says this. One verse just says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So he says, you've got to learn to hold fast without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Did you catch the two big things there? Hold fast without wavering. Why in the world would he tell these people, hold fast without wavering? The answer is obvious. The only reason he'd say that is because it's possible to not hold fast. It's possible to let go. It's possible to really waver. Folks, let's be honest. In America today, there's a lot of wavering. There's a lot of slippage in the church. Well, Marty, how can you say that? People don't come to church as much. Pastors get caught in immorality. Christian leaders, Christian worship leaders, all kinds of terrible things going on. What's that? It's like, well, yeah, they're wavering. All right. They're not holding fast. They're, they're letting out line. They're losing. The waves are starting to take them over. Some have even let go, and the waves are coming. They're going to crash. Churches are going down. People are You know what's wrong? No, they're not holding fast. They're slippage. They're wavering. Maybe you are too. What that's going to end up in is destruction for you, for your family, for what God wants you to do, his plan, remember his character. That's what's at stake here. What you need to do is hook into the Lord. So it's all about. So I love using the anchor as the illustration. Um, I was thinking of this sermon, and I was watching TV this week, and uh, I, I happened to be, I, I was trying to find, I think, the Masters Golf Tournament or something. But anyway, I ended up uh, a channel with Bear Grylls. You know Bear Grylls? Uh, he's a Christian guy. He's a big adventurer. He brings people. He's got celebrities there and stuff. So here he is with a bunch of celebrities. and Well, not a bunch. One celebrity. And they're on a cliff. And this guy's going to go off the cliff and down. He has to use a rope to hold himself. So he's carabinered in. It's wrapped around him. He's got the big rope. And he's about ready to step off the cliff, which if you, if you didn't have the rope, you're a dead man, right? So he's about ready to go. And, and Bear just grabs him and goes, hey, listen, don't let go of the rope. <laughs> like, like, that's just what's going on here. The author's saying, don't let go of the rope. Hold fast. Whatever you do, you're dead duck if you let go. He's trying to tell this guy, don't let go, man. Hold on to the rope. That's why you got gloves on. It won't even burn your hands. Just let, let it down easy, step at a time. Yeah, don't let go. That's what we all need to hear. 
especially in a day and age we live in. Like I said, when there's so much slippage, so much wavering, everybody's just letting out more and more lines and saying, oh, well, I guess we can do this. Oh, well, I guess I can be like this. Oh, I guess I'm just following the world. That's right. Not holding on to the only hope you've got. We talk about revival. We want revival so bad. But do you understand revival will never come to the church in America as long as the Christians in America don't hold on? Yeah, I hope that's good and convicting to you. It is to me. Whoa, Lord, come on, bring revival. He's going, well, come on, hang on. How could the world look at you in a hopeless time and see hope in you unless you're holding on to the only thing that will last forever, the Lord? How do you do it then? How do we hold fast without wavering? Let me give you three things. The first one I'm going to call life hold. If I am commanded here to hold fast, sooner or later, hopefully sooner, probably pretty regularly, I better strengthen my grip, right? How do you strengthen your grip spiritually? Well, you get up earlier in the morning. Maybe you read some scripture. Maybe you spend some time talking to the Lord, strengthening your grip. Maybe you got a little devotional you read. I was talking to the guy the other day. He says, oh, I went through the gospel of John. I had the greatest time. Well, what did you do? I read 10 verses every day and wrote them down in a journal. You wrote them down? Yeah, I wrote them down. I couldn't believe how much of the Bible I had missed. I mean, I've read the Gospel of John before, but I never wrote it down 10 verses at a time. And he says, I discipline myself. Only 10. I'm only doing 10 verses. He says, it's like watching a TV miniseries. Every week, I couldn't wait to get up and read the next 10 verses and write them down. He says, I started seeing insights and stuff I'd never seen before. Just taking it seriously. Strengthening his grip. Oh, my anchor came loose. Now I'm in big trouble. I'm going to go put it back in. Didn't have that happen the other services. So you guys got to see a real crisis. But that's what happens in our life, right? Surprises happen. This guy in our church, he called me this week. Morty, I've been through some tough times. Yeah, I know. Coronavirus been rough. He says, no, I'm diagnosed with cancer. It's all over my liver. Doctor says maybe three weeks. He says, you're one of the guys on the list I got to talk to and say goodbye. I'm going to help him strengthen his grip in the only hope he has. And it's really the only hope any of us have. It's in the Lord. Hold fast. Number one, life hold, like I said. That's how you do it. Life hold. Get in the word. Get those promises in your mind. Refresh it over and over again. You're going to have to regrip all the time or you're going to slip it out. You're going to you're going to let go. Secondly, group hold. I call it group hold because do you know the Bible never expects any Christian to be able to do it alone. You will let go. Things will hit you so hard. Things will be so bad. Things will get so tough. You'll let go unless somebody else is helping you hold on. That's why you come to church. 
Every weekend. That's why you get in a small group, a men's group, a women's group, a, 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 a community group. Because you know what? The Bible never says. It says build up one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another, love good. Why does it say one another over and over and over and over, 40, 50 times in the New Testament? Why does it say that? Because without one another, you'll let go. And you'll capsize. And your life will be a ruin. Because you can't do it alone. You need a group. You need someone helping you hold on. Admonish you, teach you, train you. You can help them. They can help you. It's a group hold. That's what church is all about. Because we, we all have moments of weakness, right? I sure do. I've been in a group ever since I came to this church. I was in one before I came to this church. I'll be in one the rest of my life. I need help. You need help. And if you're too proud to admit you're in help, oh, may God save your soul by showing you you're wrong. You're just being arrogant. Come on, you got to have help. You need help. Admit it. Be in a group, even if it's just one or two friends, somebody. Help you hold. Then the third thing I want to tell you, so it's you got to have a life hold, your own life. Your life with the Lord. And then secondly, group hold. But thirdly, his hold. Thank God. How does the verse end? For he who promised is faithful. Haven't you felt that? Boy, I've felt that before. Oh, thank you, Lord, because obviously you have more of a grip on me than I got on you. Thank goodness. He has you more than you have him. Sometimes he'll use a brother and sister to remind you of that, but God's got you. He's going to hold you. Uh, Lauren Daigle's got a new song about that, holding on and how the Lord holds on to us. Yeah, he's got you. He's got a grip on you better than you have on him. Go to him, trust him, pray to him, think of him, walk with him. That's how you strengthen your grip. That's how you, you hold fast and not waver. Thirdly, hope sustains those who hope in the Lord. You can be sustained in only one way when you keep hoping in the Lord. You know, Jesus was talking with his disciples one day and he goes, guys, listen, you're all going to kind of forsake me and things are going to go from bad to worse. You know, I'm going to be hung on a cross. They go, stop it, stop it, Jesus. What are you talking like that for? We're not going anywhere. Remember Peter? Peter got all upset. I said, Lord, I'm not leaving. I don't care if all the other guys leave. I'm not leaving. And he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No way, Lord. Remember, I preached about it on Easter. No way. So these guys are getting like totally hopeless. He's, he's diminishing their hope. He's discouraging them. And they're going, what are you doing this for? He said, listen, let me tell you something. You ready for what he said now? John 14. Turn to John 14. What did he say? Right at that moment, they're feeling hopeless. And Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. They're about to enter the most hopeless time in their life, and they didn't know it. He did. He said, well, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Set your anchor in the Lord. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Well, Thomas said to him, oh, Lord, what are you talking about? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. He's trying to solidify to them the gospel message, which is what? Your only hope is Jesus. I am the only solid thing you got to hold on to. Everything else in the world will burn up and fall away. You put your hope in your money, your career, your health, your strength, your church, your pastor. It's going. Ain't going to work. You got only one hope. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life, Jesus said. And these disciples have been following him for three years and they still haven't got it. And they're all upset that he said he's going to leave. He said, no, 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 no. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You guys are losing grip. You guys are wavering here. It's me you put your hope in. Do you remember um, what Jesus, well, before I even go to that, look what he's saying. He's basically saying here, you know what, guys? Um, Expect the situations to not be so great. Expect circumstances to, to be tough. You'll even have feelings of hopelessness and, and, and you'll even face problems that you think are insurmountable. What does he say? What does he say? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Stop it. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Stop it. He's saying that's your job. You stop it and put your hope, you believe in me, believe in God. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember the pattern? A few weeks back, I mentioned this biblical pattern, up and down, up and down. And I, I called it apparent defeat. It looks like we're defeated over and over again. Like Abraham was promised a son through whom the, all the world would be blessed, but he was getting older and older and older, didn't have any kids, and he's wondering what in the world's going to happen, and then God gives him a son. Moses gets the children of Israel out of Israel, out of uh, slavery in Egypt, where, 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 where things were looking so hopeless, and oh, finally we made it. We're out from being slaves. And then they run into the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptian army to kill them all. Oh, so hopeless. But then God parts the Red Sea. David, David gets thrown up against a guy named Goliath. There's no way he's going to beat Goliath. It looks so hopeless, but then he beats Goliath. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. He's going to get eaten by those big tigers, those big lions. No, God saves him out. And there's story after story, up and down, up and down. Hopeless, hope, hopeless, hope, hopeless, hope, over and over again. Well, I, I don't want to repeat that whole sermon, but I never told you about the, at the end in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, but most of the book of Revelation is about a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. And during the Tribulation period, Suffering happens on the planet Earth like you wouldn't believe. There's three and a half years at the beginning and three and a half years at the end. This is called the Great Tribulation. Maybe I should switch hands. Let's put it in this your direction. Here's the second half, three and a half years. That's called the Great Tribulation. This part is a time when there's a guy and the Antichrist arises, three and a half years, all this kind of stuff. I don't have time to get into it all. But during that time, the first three and a half years, there's these two witnesses, the Bible says, that arise. And they're going around preaching the gospel. People are coming to Christ hand over a fist. Man, oh man, now we're talking. This is hope. It's revival taking place. And then what happens? The two witnesses get killed. The Antichrist kills them. They're dead. Oh no, that was our only hope. That's right, you got the wrong hope. They're dead. But what does God do? just like he always does. Things look the hopeless, most hopeless, is when he comes through, he raises the two witnesses up. 
They witness some more and then they ascend to heaven. Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. We're hope again, right? No, because then comes the great tribulation. Wars, famine, pestilence, it just gets horrible. Read the book of Revelation. And then there's this great war that happens and what happens? The trumpet sounds and here comes Christ on his white horse, sets up his kingdom, then sets up the thousand year reign of Christ, then sets up the new heaven, the new earth. Read the book of Revelation, it's all there. And this up and down, hopeless hope, hopeless hope thing continues right to the end of the Bible. And the only answer is what? Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. He comes to save us. This biblical pattern shows us, like I said, throughout the whole Bible, that we're hardwired for hope and we get so hopeless. And over and over again, we read these passages like Jesus said to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then even shows us pattern after pattern, story after story after story, telling us, don't be hopeless just because things look hopeless. You're not anchored in this world. <laughs> like 2 Corinthians 4. Well, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Hook into the eternal. That's how a martyr makes it. They're like, well, Chief, go ahead, kill me. I'll, I'll be happy in heaven with the Lord. You're sending me early. I'm happy to go. Do you really believe that? That's what needs to happen to you and me. Our hope, our anchor, needs to be totally set in the Lord. As I studied for this sermon, I kept having a song go through my mind. It's by uh, Edward Mote. Edward Mote lived in the 1700s, early 1800s, and um, he uh, grew up in London, England, and he, his parents owned a bar, or what they called a pub, and um, they were so busy running the pub that they didn't have much time for Edward, and he was pretty much a street urchin and got himself in a lot of trouble and a lot of sin and a lot of problems. But thank, by God's grace, at 18 years old, he became a Christian. He found Christ. His life was transformed. He ended up becoming this carpenter, actually a cabinet maker. And this other man was mentoring him as a cabinet maker. And he started seeing the Lord and feeling the Lord so close. By the time he was 50, he was 50, he decides to go into the ministry and become a pastor. So he's a pastor of a little church. And one morning, to get his grip stronger, he's studying the Bible. And, and a song comes to his mind. He says, I've always loved carpentry, but I love music. And this, this tune came to my mind, and then words started flowing out on the paper. So I wrote down the words that was happening, and I took it, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll get back to this later. i put it in my pocket. And then a guy comes up on a horse. Remember, this is before phones. This is 1839. A guy comes up on a horse and tells him, Mrs. Smith, uh, I mean, King, Mrs. King is at home, and she's dying. You've got to go see her right away. So he gets on his horse, rides over to the king's house, Mr. King answers and brings her in where Mrs. King is laying there like on her deathbed. And you see, I guess it hits me because I've been a pastor. I've been on deathbed experiences with people before. He starts talking with her and praying with her. And he says, you know, he knows she's very musical. He's very musical. And he goes, um, this morning, you know, I got these words. And he pulls out these words and he reads these to her. And then they sing it together. He says, joy came across her face. He says, from this song that the Lord had just given me a few minutes earlier, here we are, hundreds of years later, reading it. Listen to it. Here's how it goes. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The hymn is called Solid Rock. And it comes from that last story Jesus told in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You remember how it goes? Remember, he had preached this whole sermon. You can read it, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. This is the end of Matthew 7. He says, there was a wise man that went out and built a house on a rock. And the storms came, and the winds blew, and the rain drove against the house. But the house stood solid on the rock. But then there was a foolish man who went out. He built his house on the sand. And the storms came, and the floods came, and the rain came, and the winds blew, and his house went down. So is the person who rejects the words I've just spoken to you. He says at the end of his sermon, his hope will be gone, his house will be diminished, but those who build on the rock will last forever. Whoa, what a powerful ending to your sermon. Wow. Listen to me. Just a few weeks, two weeks from now, I will no longer be the lead pastor of this church. And God's raising up another man to be the leader of this church. Where's your anchor? In me? In my preaching? Come on. Is your anchor in the Lord? Are you anchored in Him? Is it solid? Do you have slippage? Are you wavering? The hope of this church is our anchor. Sometimes people, well, how come you don't talk about this issue? Talk about that issue. Why don't you bring up this? I'm not going to let the culture tell me my agenda. My agenda is right in the Word of God. Hold on to hope. That's where I've got to get you. The way we're going to be the church of God is be the church that has our grip solidified. We hold as a group together. We trust God. That's what I need you to do. Okay. When I preached about faith, I gave an admonition to everybody. What was my admonition? Keep stepping up the ladder, step by step. Walk with God by faith. Leaning into what? His promises. Okay, I give you an admonition about hope. You ready? Don't. Don't let go. Don't you dare let go. Hold fast without wavering. If you're getting weak, tell somebody else, hey, you know, I can't, I can't hold on anymore. Okay, I'll help you. Or you see someone wavering, you say, listen, can I help you? I want to help you. Hold on. You know they're going through a tough time. You know they need help. Help them. This is what we are. We're the body of Christ. But we're only the body when we're together. Yeah. I'm hoping that God uses this message. You never forget about the rope and the anchor. You never forget about the ladder. I have one more for you about love, but that's coming next. Hold on. Can I pray with you? Before the worship team's going to come out, we're going to sing that song, all of us. But before they do, let's pray. Bow with me. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our only hope our sure anchor of our soul. We want to anchor and reaffirm our anchor is in the Lord. For many of us here, we've wavered. For many of us here, we got slippage. For many of the people in the church in America, there's such slippage that we don't even look like a church. We don't even look like we believe anything. And all comes back to our hope. 
We could talk about issues and politics and we could talk about this and economy and all. doesn't matter if we're not holding on to Jesus. So, Lord, we want to go back to the core of our life and say, okay, my marriage is in trouble. I've gone through a divorce. I'm dealing with tough things, tough people. I got kids. I got problems. I got money and pressures. Well, hold on to the Lord. Our hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Hold on. So I'm this morning reaffirming my hold is in Jesus Christ alone. The way, the truth, and the life. That's it. Show me, Lord, what that means. Teach me, Lord, what that means. Show me how to get up every morning, read your words, solidify, pray my prayers, whatever I got to do to get stronger in my grip. I got to get my grip. I got to re-grip every morning. Help me join a group or be with some friends or somebody that can admonish me and teach me and help me and encourage me, even rebuke me when I need it. Oh, God, help me be part of your church. Oh, Lord, help us. Remember that you got us. We can lean into your rope. We can lean into your anchor if we have it set in you and not be capsized. So, this morning, we're going to sing this song to you. And we're going to reaffirm our hope is in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen.